We are going to do something else. Uh, as Jonathan said, we are going to do communion tonight. And uh, I think it's great that, uh, first off, I'm proud of my wife. I'm allowed to say that, I think. Um, but, I, but also, we are going to do something that is going to promote community. Uh, and that is communion. It's in, it's in the Word. You see the similarities there. Um, but I love the idea of uh, prayer like that, being able to gather together as a body of believers and pray over people who are seeking God's face and um, seeking to do His will. So <clears throat> we're going to do a little overview of communion. Um, communion is about remembering, reconciling, and rejoicing uh, about what God has done for us. But I want to give you a little bit of a backstory. Um, we spent a lot of time in the past, uh, a couple weeks when we first started, I think it was around July into June, and we talked about the Israelites' journey out of Egypt and into uh, the Promised Land. Well, we're going to go back a little further even this time, and we're going to take a look at Genesis. Genesis is where it all began for Israel. And uh, what a lot of people don't really understand is that uh, the transition from Genesis to Exodus was about 400 years that a lot of people didn't really see or maybe they don't always capture. But if you were a child growing up in the church, you heard the story um, of Joseph and his coat of many colors. And he had this great relationship with his father. He was the beloved son. And his brothers, you know, being good brothers that they were, sold him off into slavery. And he went through all these obstacles and all these trials, but towards the end of his life, he became second in command to Pharaoh himself. And when his father died, he was over the 12 tribes of Israel. And the 12 tribes of Israel were gathered together in Egypt, and Joseph was second in command only to Pharaoh. But eventually, Joseph died. And eventually, Israel grew. And eventually, Pharaoh no longer knew any loyalty to the Israelites. And as they began to multiply and they began to become stronger, Egypt thought, you know what? To keep these people in check, we're going to bring them into bondage and slavery. So there we were. We are at the beginning of Exodus, and the Pharaoh did not know Israel, so he enslaved them. And for 400 years, the people of Israel were, were treated as less than human. Something to be bought and something to be sold. Their value was small, and they didn't understand why they existed other than to suffer. And yet, they believed in a promise from their God. You know, I think sometimes in America we lose sight of God. And, and, you know, we say, well, America's not what it once was. Yeah, but we haven't spent 400 years in slavery. Yet after 400 years of slavery, they still believed that God would rescue them. And that's exactly what he did. Moses would enter the scene and he would come to Pharaoh and he would say, you will let my people go. And after ten plagues, Pharaoh finally let him go, but not before the final plague. The final plague was that the death angel would pass over and kill the firstborn of any family, unless that family had blood on their doorpost. I want you to look at Exodus, 
Exodus 12, starting in verse 5. Exodus 12, 5 says this. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male a year old. You may take it from the sheep from your, uh, from, or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house in which they ate. They shall eat the flesh the same night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of the raw or boiled uh, water or rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs along with its entrails. So it goes into this extreme celebration, but not without first kind of a, a crude sacrifice. And you think, well, what in the world was the significance of this? So they put the blood on the doorpost, and they put it on the lintel. And that marked for the death angel to know that that was a safe house for the firstborns. But this is something interesting. As Jonathan and I were kind of reviewing this and going over it, it said that you should eat the meat from an unblemished lamb, so it needs to be perfect, with bitter herbs. The bitter herbs were to represent the sin and the past that was being overcome and give you a desire for what was good and pure from the lamb. I'd never really heard that. I'd never really known that. But it's interesting because God wants us, as we look to him, God wants us to remember where we came from before we go where we're going. He wants us to see where he has brought us out of. He never wanted the people to forget where they came from. He never wanted them to forget the bondage and the slavery and the burden that they came out of once they got to the promised land. So for every year following their freedom, they would have the Passover celebration. This was something they did for generations and generations. And they would do it when they were in captivity and when they were out of captivity and and in and out of slavery for for generations to follow. And then one day, a man enters the scene by the name of Jesus. And he begins talking about how he's the Son of God, about how he's the perfect lamb, how he's uh, unblemished. And then there's one night. There was one night where he would sit at the table with his disciples at a Passover meal. Now, Jesus was 33 years old when he did this. He had done the Passover 33 times. And he sat with them. And he said, take this bread. It is my body which has been broken for you. And he said, take this cup. It is my blood which has been poured out for you. Now, I want you to think for a moment. Somebody offers you a cup and said, this is my blood. I don't know, but I'm not sure I'm going to drink the Kool-Aid. Like you hesitate for a minute. You think about it for a minute. And you think, who is this guy? Now, that was a lot of people's impression of Jesus. 
But for the 12 men in that room who had been with him for three years, who had seen him wash their feet just moments before, understood that when this man spoke, he spoke not of himself, but of his Father who was in heaven. They realized and they were connecting finally for the first time that after generations and generations of the Passover feast, they were seeing things come to fruition. Because even though they did the Passover feast religiously, believing that it took away their sin, believing that it kept them safe and secure, they knew that ultimately a Savior would come that would point them towards a right relationship with God. And as they sat in that room, they realized that that Savior was in fact Jesus Christ. I want to look over some things real quick. In 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, it gives us an example of communion. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven says this. Therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks, he drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body properly." We need to remember where we come from. We need to remember our sin. We need to remember his sacrifice. And we need to remember the salvation that it brought. You see, the people, the 12 disciples, when they took the Passover, they were remembering deliverance from slavery. They were remembering what they came out of. In like fashion, when we take communion, we are called to remember our sin and our condition, the, the bondage that we have been brought out of. When Jesus Christ died, he died once and for all so that we would no longer have to go out, find an unblemished lamb, and sacrifice it on an altar. He took our sin. He gave us salvation. We, and that is what we are remembering. Because when Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, when he broke the bread, he said, do this in what? In remembrance of me. I remember being a little kid, and I'll never forget, we had a, um, we had a communion table at the front of our church, and it had the words, do this in remembrance of me. And I remember probably being only about five or six years old, finally learning how to read those big words like remembrance, and, thinking to my, and asking my dad, in remembrance of who? Like, I, had, I for, for the longest time when I was a little kid, I thought, well, somebody must have died and donated this to the church. And to a certain extent, they did. He died for us. He died so that we could have right relationship with him. But also, he doesn't want us to get so far into a relationship with him that we forget where we came from. Sometimes that is why people have such a hard time coming into the church. 
because they come into a church filled with Christians who have been Christians for so long that they forget where they came from. They forget the burden. They forget the struggle that they overcame to find a right relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to remember his sacrifice and his salvation. We need to remember that Jesus Christ gave everything after living a perfect life so that we might have salvation through him. But we also need to reconcile. When you take communion, you need to make sure that you stand before God in the right manner. You need to make sure that you are checking yourself and that you are reconciled with God and you are reconciled with man. I remember when I was younger, I had moments in my life where I really took this to heart. And as, I, as the communion cups passed, I thought of somebody that I wasn't quite right with spiritually. And I thought, I need to make that right before I enter into this communion. I need to call them up. I need to apologize. I need to pray with them. I need to, and maybe it was somebody in the church that I, you know, just we had rubbed shoulders the wrong way. Sometimes you need to swallow that and you just need to say, you know what? I want to be in communion with you. I want to be in community with you. You can't have community with your brothers and sisters in Christ if there is hostility between you. Those things need to be right before you can come into communion and fellowship. I think in large part, that was why Jesus got down and he washed all their feet. Not only to serve them, but also to say, it's right between us. It's good between us. Not that he had anything to apologize for, but that he wanted them to know, you know what? It's good between us. I want you to think tonight as as we get ready to take communion... Are you good with God, and are you good with man? Because there should never be a time in your life where you hold on to guilt and bitterness and shame in such a way that it drives a wedge between you and God and you and a community of believers. This is uh, one of the greatest stories of uh, reconciling is, goes back to where we started. If you remember, right, I was telling you the story of how Israel ended up in Egypt. They ended up there because Joseph got sold by his 12 brothers to, uh, to, to scavengers, and he eventually worked his way up to second in command. Well, after Jacob died, his 12 sons were left alone with Joseph. And for all intents and purposes, Joseph had the authority to say, all right, dad's dead throw them all in prison. Get rid of them. And yet, in Joseph's story, we see one of the greatest stories of reconciliation the Bible offers. He he comes to, his brothers come to him, and they say this. They come to him in fear, and they say, what will you do with us? And he looks at them, and he says in Genesis 50, verse 20, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about his present result, to to preserve many people's lives. Here's the thing. We need to reconcile. 
God is working things out for our good. He is working things out for your good, for my good. Sometimes, th- sometimes bad things happen. But it doesn't mean God doesn't love us, and it doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan. We as humans, though, have an opportunity to reconcile with God and reconcile with man. And to be unified together. We move on to examination. And this is where I want you to kind of take heart. And I read a little bit of it and I'm going to read it again. Because I want it to be in your mind. Therefore, whoever eats and drinks the cup. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 27. We're back, uh, I'm sorry, eleven twenty-seven. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. I'm going to be honest. This was one of like the most terrifying verses for me as a child. Like when I was an early teen and I was trying to process like my salvation and understand where I stood spiritually and and making sense of all this, I remember thinking to myself, that is one body I do not want to, to be guilty of. Like, I I know I sin, I know I make a lot of mistakes, but the last thing I want to do is take communion carelessly. And and to this day, every time I know that I'm going to be taking communion, I make sure that I pray before I enter the communion service. I was downstairs today praying, Lord, that my heart would be right before I take this. And in a moment here, I'm going to ask Colton to come up, and we're going to give you an opportunity to make sure that your hearts are right. But I want you to see what it goes on to say. Verse 28, but a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks and eats eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. God has a way of healing us. He has a way of loving us and guiding us. And I believe that God works in communion services. I believe that God works to restore. I believe that God works to heal, whether it's mental, physical, emotional, Uh, or relational, I believe that God uses opportunities like communion and baptism and things of that nature to heal us. So if there is something that you're struggling with today, I pray that you would look into your heart and that you would reconcile with God. You would reconcile with man. You would remember where you come from. You would remember the sacrifice. You would remember the salvation offered by Jesus Christ. And that if, if nothing else is going right in your life today, Today marks the day that you can turn all that around by having communion and entering into communion with your fellow believers and with an almighty God. I'm going to ask Colton to come and uh, lead us in a song. And as he comes and as he he sings and, and lifts up the Lord's name, I want to encourage you to pray. I want to encourage you to pray. The alt, uh, I know it kind of looks just like steps, but if you want to come up and pray at the altar, pray at the altar. If you want to pray uh, at your chair, pray at your chair. But I want to encourage you today. Look into your hearts. Think about what God has done to you, done with you and to you and through you. Think about where he's brought you from. Because every person 
who professes the name of Jesus Christ as their savior was brought out of bondage and brought out of slavery just like the Israelites. And I feel like the death angel just hovers over so many of us wanting to ruin our days and ruin our lives. But the blood of Christ is there. And I feel like sometimes the only thing that keeps the enemy from latching on to me is that when he comes by me, he sees the blood of God on my heart. And he said, that one's mine. Leave that one alone. God loves you today, and he wants to be near you. I pray that you would examine your hearts.
wanted one. Did everybody get a cup? All right. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to review what we talked about a little bit, and then we're going to take the cup. on the night that he was betrayed and I think it's it's hard to think about because Jesus was wasn't unaware he knew everything that was happening he knew that he was being betrayed but here in a moment we're going to take the 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 bread and take the cup and it went something like this as he as he sat there with his disciples he took the bread and he said this this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me and then he took the bread and he broke it you may take the bread dear Lord we thank you for your body which was broken for us we thank you, Lord God, that in the midst of adversity, Lord God, in the midst of betrayal, you showed us a better way to live through love and community, Lord God. We thank you for the sacrifice of your body. And then as the night continued, he took the cup. And he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant it's the new covenant because no longer did they need the unblemished lamb because they had the Savior of the universe pouring out his blood, pouring out his heart for them. It's a new covenant. Today can be a new day. And he said, this is my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You may now take the cup. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for your blood, Lord God, that you have poured out over us. Lord God, that has washed over us and cleansed us and purified us, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, for the sacrifice that you have made. Lord God, you hung all alone on a cross so that we would never have to be alone again. We thank you, Lord God, for your sacrifice. In Jesus' name. I want you to see what follows, though, in 1 Corinthians. And I love this passage. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six says this. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That is what communion is all about. It's about getting together with your brothers and sisters in Christ and proclaiming the salvation found in Jesus Christ. Thank you for sharing in this time with us. I pray that you would pray for each and every person in this church. I pray that you would pray that this church would be lifted up. And if you are free tomorrow, join us as we pray for our community, we pray for our teachers, for our children. I wanna give you a real quick thing. 
as we have spent time in communion and fellowship today, I'm reminded of all that God has done for us. And as Rory mentioned with the prayer tomorrow, last, last year during the school year, they had these schools on lockdown about twice because of gun violence and threats. We need to find a place where we can intersect our community, where we can love them, where we can pray for them, and people are okay with it. They're encouraging us to be there, and we need to have a strong turnout that says we are here to support, we are here to help, we are a community of believers. And what I love about this is it's not just the Nazarene Church, it's not just the Now Church, it's not just the Methodist Church, it is a community of believers praying for their children and their teachers. That is what it's about. It's about communion, it's about fellowship, it's about community that we come together to what? To proclaim the name of Jesus and all that he has done until the day he returns. Bow your heads with me and we'll be dismissed. Dear Lord God, I thank you for this wonderful day. I thank you for this church. I thank you for each and every person who came out today, Lord God, to join us in communion, to join us in fellowship, Lord God. I pray that you would have them return next week. I pray that they would share their faith. I pray that they would proclaim the love of God to a lost and hurting world. Lord God, you are good. And I am thankful to be in the house of the Lord today. Be with these people and give them a blessed week. In Jesus' name, amen.